Up and Running Podcast, where we talk about all things related to running and really great food. Welcome to the Up and Running Podcast. I want to say a big thank you to all of you who've become listeners of the show. And if you've provided a rating on iTunes, a big thank you to you. Really appreciate that. Your ratings and your reviews help the show grow, so please continue to do that. I really appreciate it. Today's topic of discussion is running at altitude. I personally do not live at a high elevation. I live in Southern California, so I am at a relatively low elevation. I'm not all that far from the beach. The nearest beach to me is Newport Beach, California. And Newport Beach, California is a mere 10 feet above sea level, right? Because it is at the beach. So I live 410 feet above sea level. And this past week, I was on vacation. I was on spring break with my kids and my wife. And we traveled to the city of Laramie, Wyoming. So maybe you've never been to Laramie. I had never been before last week. Laramie, Wyoming is at 7,165 feet of elevation. To give you some relative comparisons, Denver, the mile-high city, is at 5,130 feet of elevation. Boulder, Colorado, is at 5,430 feet of elevation. Another Wyoming town, Buford, Wyoming, is at 8,000 feet of elevation. And Glacier Point in Yosemite, California is at 7,214 feet of elevation. So there, um, for points of reference, are some pretty well-known places and what their elevations are at. So like I mentioned, I live at 410 feet of elevation here in Orange County. So I do travel to Colorado at least a couple times a month. And so because of that, when, I, when I'm there, I'm, I'm running. So I, I do run in, at altitude at least a couple days of a week, or I'm sorry, a month. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about what that feels like when you're running at higher elevation, because there are some physiologic effects that the human body undergoes um, while it's running at those higher elevations. The first thing that uh, you know you want to take note of at higher elevation is that there's just simply l- less oxygen the higher you go, and uh, you know it's been known for a really long time that elite runners often live and train at altitude. Um, you know, a lot of elite runners live in cities like Boulder, Colorado, Flagstaff, Arizona, Mammoth Lakes, California. Big Bear, California, you know, you hear about runners and boxers living at those high elevations because it is integral to their training programs. So why is it that so many elite runners live in those cities? Well, because altitude training provides some big benefits for them. It can provide benefits not only for them, but for any runner. 
uh, especially when you return to sea level. So if you're doing workouts or races at sea level. So let me talk a little bit about altitude running from my perspective. As I mentioned, I was in Laramie, Wyoming earlier this week. And I did a 4.7-mile treadmill workout. Um, It was in the hotel. I chose to run in the hotel on the treadmill because, for me, it was far too cold outside. It was actually 20 degrees. So I think most people would agree that's pretty cold. So um, having the option of running on a treadmill, I took it. And so let me tell you, that was a hard run. It was a difficult run for me. Um, And I know it had a lot to do with the high elevation, you know, being at 7,165 feet of elevation. So one of the very first things that I noticed on that run was just feeling like I couldn't get a full breath of air. Um, You know, it was nothing alarming for me because I've run at altitude before, so I know what to expect. Um, And usually it's about... It's about 15 to 20 minutes in for me. And this was a a 4.7 mile run on the treadmill. Um, So right around, you know, 15 minutes or so, right around that area, uh, I started to just feel, okay, I'm taking a breath, but I just don't feel like I'm getting all that much air. And and that's fairly normal for me when I run at altitude. Um, I'll feel that sense of, okay, I just feel like I need to take more breaths. Um, So I do. I I make the adjustment. I breathe through my mouth and I make the adjustment to settle into a rhythm. I take uh, more breaths and uh, I just make sure that, you know, I'm checking in on how my body feels as I take each step, as I pump my arms. And then after a while, I do settle in. I settle into um, knowing the amount of exertion that I have to put out. Um, just on that run as I'm doing it. And that's kind of the mental adjustment that I'm making. The other thing that I feel um, pretty quickly into it is um, a dryness in my mouth. So I feel thirsty. Um, so I typically, if I am running like that on a treadmill, I'll have a water bottle nearby. Uh, because at elevation and in cold temperatures like that, even though I was running on a hotel treadmill, Uh, the air is very dry. So with the air being that dry, you tend to lose a lot of fluid. Not only are you sweating, um, but you're sweating physically from your skin. And uh, all of the data, all of the literature shows that you're also sweating. uh, I'm sorry, not sweating, but losing hydration from your lungs, right? When you're breathing. So you just need to take more water in because of those factors. Um, So that's just something that happens at higher elevation running. Uh, So I do get more thirsty. My mouth gets dry. Um, So those are some of the things that I feel right away physically. The other thing that I have to make an adjustment on is my stride. So um, I usually have to shorten my stride a little little bit and take more steps. So um, instead of having what I normally would have just a normal stride, like when I'm home in Southern California, I need to shorten that stride a little bit and get into a rhythm of about every other step that I take, I'm taking a breath and then I'm exhaling on those next couple of steps and so forth. 
So that's that's kind of what I do. Um, the other thing I do when I'm running at elevation is uh, I throw out the window time. I throw splits out the window. I I know already that it's going to be harder, so I'm not worried about what my split time was. Uh, more I use it as an opportunity uh, to compare how I'm feeling with how I know I would be normally feeling, uh, you know, at home in, in Orange County. So uh, if if I'm intending to do, let's say, a five mile run, and I'm getting close to ending that run, and I actually am feeling pretty good when I'm at elevation, um, then I try to push myself a little bit more. I try to just see if I could finish that five mile run, you know strong, even though I know it, it's it's forcing me to work harder. So that's what I kind of do all these little mental things and some physical things with my stride to kind of get into that that rhythm. So the very first time I experienced these effects of running in altitude or at altitude was back in college when I was running cross country at Cal State Fullerton. Um, every year, my coach, Coach Elders, would set up a running camp and that running camp would be a, a week long and we would travel to Yosemite or Kings Canyon National Park. And this particular year, this my first year when I was a freshman, we traveled to Yosemite. Um, which, that was a fantastic trip. I'll never forget it. I actually have not been back to Yosemite since then and uh, I really, really want to go back. So I've got to make those plans. Um, but like I mentioned, it was uh, a camp up there. It was a training camp for a week. And one of the early morning training runs that we did was running up to Glacier Point via the Four Mile Trail. So the Four Mile Trail is a, a well-known trail, a hiking trail that we actually ran up. It's a little closer to five miles. They call it the Four Mile Trail, but it's a little closer to five miles. Um, the trail is rated as a strenuous trail. And it features numerous switchbacks. That's what I remember. I remember a whole bunch of switchbacks uh, made up of these huge, what looked like granite to me, granite slabs that just went back and forth, um, like kind of like snaking up the side of the mountain. The elevation gain on that trail is 3,200 feet. And Glacier Point is at an elevation of 7,214 feet. So needless to say, the air is very thin up there. Before before we started out on this run, uh, and again, it being my very first run of this kind ever as a freshman on the team, uh, I was 18 years old, uh, the best running shape of my life, no doubt. But nonetheless, this was really a difficult run. So our coach, Coach Elders, gathered all of us together you know, before we started the run. And he explained how once we got got started on this run, that within a few minutes, we would experience oxygen debt. And that at that point, when we started to feel that, we really needed to work to establish a rhythm. Um, and, you know, I, I wasn't sure what that meant. You know, I thought, establish a rhythm, what does that mean? Um, so I started the run, and about 10 minutes in, my lungs felt like they were absolutely on fire. And, uh, you know, Coach 
was in really great running shape back then. And he was running with us. So as we were running up and he was right there pretty much with us, he was yelling out to us, you know, take a step, breathe, take another step, breathe. And so, um, you know, listening to him, I started to understand, okay, he's talking about stepping, breathing, stepping, breathing. Uh, and it made sense to me. So, uh, you know, he also talked about pumping our arms and essentially just to keep working. Just keep going, keep working. Uh, so like I said, my lungs were absolutely on fire. And, uh, you know, eventually I did find that rhythm. I found, uh, you know, I could take a couple of steps and then I would take a breath. And then I would take another couple of steps and I would exhale and take another quick breath. And I just kept doing that all the way up to the very top of uh, the end of the trail there. Um, so that was really, really a great accomplishment. And my first exposure to oxygen debt and running at high elevation. Running at altitude is difficult, especially when you don't live year round at elevation. So you really have to prepare yourself for running in that environment. You know, the first step I always try to take is hydrating properly, you know, just making sure that I've been drinking enough water before I go out on my run. So typically when I travel, my run isn't happening uh, either at the end of the day, end of the workday or or in the, the following morning, early in the morning. Um, so I really have to, if it's going to be at the end of the day, make sure during that day I drink enough water. And I'm a I'm a coffee drinker. I really like coffee. So I have to make sure that I don't have too much coffee uh, and that I balance it with, you know, like a sports drink or just water um, and that I stay away from anything that's a diuretic in general, um, you know, to, to a degree where it's going to affect me negatively. Um, eating enough is also really important. Um, you know, you really have to make sure that you eat enough food, but also consistently uh, because the problem with hydration, or I'm sorry, dehydration, is it sneaks up on you. You know, you feel really good until you go on your run. Um, and then you might even feel pretty good during your run, but it's right after your run. When you're done, that it hits you. And it, it can hit you really hard. So um, I've actually run into that while I've been in Colorado, where I felt good all day, thought I was you know, drinking enough, thought I was eating enough. And uh, then I did my run after work and I felt really good on the run. Um, again, it was a treadmill run because it was cold. And uh, and then after I was done with my run, you know, really quickly afterwards, uh, I had really low energy and I was just freezing cold. I was shivering. Um, so my body had started to go through um, like chills. I started getting chills. And then I just got to the point where I just felt like I had no energy at all. Um, and I could not stop shaking. I could not warm my body up quick enough. So I had to take a, a really hot shower and uh, try to raise my body temperature. And then I downed a couple bottles of water. Uh, and then I ordered some salty soup, whatever salty soup they had. Um, and once I got that salt back into me and those liquids back into me, then I started to feel a, a lot better. 
But, uh, you know, that can be scary sometimes. It can be scary to get to a point where you're so dehydrated that, you know, you can't get your body warm enough or, you know, you, you lose um, sort of just the strength in your body just to just to feel normal. So it's really important to be mindful of that stuff. Take care of your body, hydrate, eat properly. And, uh, you know, it also helps to take sips of water as you're running uh, because that will help ensure that you, you just haven't lost uh, all those critical fluids. So why do top athletes live and train at high elevation? Well, they do that because elevation, training in it, helps boost their red blood cell production, thereby making them faster when they race at sea level. And because workouts feel harder at elevation, they're able to condition their bodies for those strenuous efforts. So for for those uh, tough uh, elevation runs where they're doing tempo runs or interval training, um, they've they're just conditioned their body for that high level of discomfort. So when they go to a lower elevation and they start to hit those discomfort thresholds, they can just go a lot a lot further, a lot harder um, because now their body is used to that. So for those of you that have run in elevation or at altitude, uh, this is old hat for you. Uh, but for those who may have never experienced it before, this is a little foray into the subject, and uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. You know, uh, I'll say it now, and I've said this before, I am not a physician. I am simply somebody who really enjoys the sport of running, so if you're thinking about going to a higher elevation and training, you know, please be sure you consult with your doctor Make sure that everything is A-OK before you take on strenuous training of that nature. It's important. That's crazy. That's crazy good. So now let's talk about something everybody loves, and that's really great food. This past week, I had the opportunity to travel to Fort Collins, Colorado, And I was introduced to a really great place called Music City Hot Chicken. Um, So you've heard me talk about hot chicken in previous podcasts. I'm a big fan of hot chicken, Nashville-style hot chicken. It's super good. It's crazy good. So at Music City Hot Chicken, um, just let me give you a description of what, what it's like inside and you know, who goes there. So Fort Collins, Colorado, if you've never been there, um, it is a college town. Colorado State University is uh, it, it has its home there. So um, imagine uh, this place, Music City Hot Chicken. It's located um, kind of in a little strip mall, not too far from the university. And its clientele is a mix of college students, not college students, people like myself. I'm definitely not in college anymore. Um, so it's a mix of people who are coming in and and there's a big line. So, um, you know, I think that's a theme, right? A lot of the places I talk about on the podcast are really good places. So a lot of people go to them and, you know, just be prepared. If you're in Fort Collins at Music City Hot Chicken, you might need to wait, you know, 30 minutes uh, or 40 minutes in the line. Now, it does move steadily, um, but it's kind of an old school format, Um it's actually been there for just uh, just about a year, so it hasn't been there all that long. 
Um, but they have one cash register. And so the line kind of snakes through the restaurant, if you will, alongside the bar. Um, they have a bar there. Um, it's very colorful. From what I saw, they have these little like tiki glasses, um, like little, um, uh, well, that's how I would say them, tiki, tiki glasses. And so uh, they kind of have them back there. And, you know, you pick out which one you want if you're ordering a cocktail and and people have a lot of fun with that. So so that's one of the things I saw um, in terms of the food. So when I came in, it was just finishing up brunch. So they had a brunch menu going. And I had the hot mess. Great name, right? The hot mess. So let me tell you what's on the hot mess. So it's a waffle sandwich filled with a crispy, tender, fried egg, bacon, honey butter, and fireball maple syrup. So it's it's crispy honey chicken. Um, and again, there's an egg on there. It's fried. There's bacon. There's honey butter. Uh, it's so good. I've actually never had anything like that, like that combination in the way they do it together. And uh, the waffle was super soft. Um, so like I literally held it like a sandwich because that's how it comes. So the the bun is a waffle. And then in between is all the stuff I just described. And then they serve it with a um, with, with the fireball maple syrup. So um, like like if you remember when you were a kid and you had those like fireball jawbreakers, it's like that flavor, maple syrup. And so I just drenched my uh, my sort of like bun, my waffle bun with it. Oh, it was so good. So um, I saw other people getting, you know, regular chicken and, you know, they said that the portions are pretty good, pretty, pretty big. So what I had was amazing. So I highly recommend Music City Hot Chicken. And like I said, there was a line. So that tells me that everything they serve is outstanding. Uh, they have different levels of heat to to basically their chicken. So let me tell you about that. The first heat level that they have, they call Southern. And Southern refers to no heat at all. So that's basically a classic Southern buttermilk fried chicken. The next heat level they have is green chili. And they describe that as some heat. And it's their Southwest variation on the classic style. The next one they have is hot. Bit of burn is how they describe it. A perfect blend of spice and flavor. Then they have Nashville hot. Bigger burn. Climbing the scale a bit more. Plenty of heat for most. Then they have white hot. And they describe that as incendiary. For those who can have a higher heat threshold. And then they have flammable solid. Uh, And that's an extra dollar, by the way. And they describe it as it's worth it, but watch out. And then they have jerk. J-E-R-K. And they describe it as different, but also good. Great Caribbean flavor without the burn. So those are the different heat levels they have. And uh, I, I like the creative way that they've listed those. So if you are in Fort Collins, Colorado, stop off at Music City Hot Chicken. You will be pleased.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Up and Running Podcast. I hope you enjoyed talking and listening a little bit about running at altitude. You know, it is a very different experience. And for those of you that do it all the time, my hat's off to you. Uh, I think that's awesome. And for those who've never done it, but might want to try doing it, that's, you know, add this podcast into your your sort of field of reference material uh, on, on the topic. So as always, I'll be posting pictures of the food that I described, the uh, hot mess that I had from Music City Hot Chicken on my Instagram page. And you can find me on Instagram at runwitpaul. That's R-U-N-W-I-T-P-A-U-L. Thank you very much. Have a great week and enjoy your next run.